from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to our annual holiday episode of the Cry Havoc Podcast. On December 12th, the Cry Havoc community gathered for our annual holiday event, where we invited our audience to join us for an evening of holiday goodies and readings from this year's annual collection of very short holiday plays, written for our annual Havoc for the Holidays campaign, which we'll tell you more about later in the episode. This year, 20 of our playwrights wrote new holiday plays for the Havoc for the Holidays collection. Like every year, our playwrights were given an assignment. Each of the very short holiday plays was to be no longer than five pages, to take place during the holiday season, to feature at least one character from a play that they or another playwright developed in the workshop, and to be inspired by a randomly assigned song. This year, in celebration of Cry Havoc's 20th year, each of the inspiration songs were hits in 1997, the year Cry Havoc was founded. What follows is a live reading of eight of these plays, each followed by a selection from the song that inspired it and a few words from the playwright about how the play came to be. So sit back and enjoy. Happy holidays from all of us at Cry Havoc, and we will now join the event with the first of our very short holiday plays. Uh, but we are going to start off now with Undercover Bazaar by Jersey Gwizdowski. Woo! Inspired by the song How Bazaar, is performed by OMC, and featuring the characters Mick Jagger from his play All Over Me, How Does It Feel, and Val Kilmer from his play Michael Bay's America, Part Four. And um, this evening, Jersey and Jenny are going to be alternating reading uh, uh, stage directions. And we have uh, Chris Comfort playing Mick and Will Rogers as well. I'm going to apologize in advance. My English accent is terrible. We'll see what happens. (laughs) Undercover Bazaar, a very short holiday play by Jersey Gwizdowski, Cryhavic resident artist. 1982, morning in a hotel suite the nicest hotel suite in all of Invercargill, New Zealand. Two days before Christmas, a slim-figured man in a purple satin robe stands at the window. It is Mick Jagger, 39. His robe hangs open to reveal candy cane striped briefs and a Santa beard hanging around his neck. He peeks through the curtains at the street below, then inside at the aftermath of last night's party. Then back to the window. In the adjoining bathroom, the sound of someone shuffling around quickly. Suddenly, we hear a dozen bottles, brushes, and other personal effects clattering onto the tile loudly. Mick turns toward the bathroom with a smirk, listening to the sound of someone hurriedly replacing the items that just fell. Then, the sound of them falling again, followed by a young man's voice. Gack! Mick chuckles. Just leave it, all right? Don't worry. <laughs> A young man scrambles out of the bathroom with a suitcase. It is Val Kilmer, 23. He didn't get a lot of sleep. He's fully dressed except for a missing tennis shoe. He starts scouring the hotel room as Mick watches. Gak? Is that some hip 
American lingo I'm not yet aware of? It's my lingo. I told you I don't curse. <laughs> Can you help me? Sure, love. He joins Val in the search. You cursed last night. Well, maybe I did, but I don't. Oh. You do anything else last night you don't do? Val freezes. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> Things you shouldn't partake in? Scottish. <laughs> Substances. I'm going Scottish. Substances. <laughs> activities. <laughs> as a good Christian. Scientist. As a good scientist. Christian scientist. Christian scientist, Hindu former, <laughs> movie star, whatever you are. Uh, your friend last night, she was right. Uh, you do have a great pair of lips on you. Don't say that. It's true. They're plump. Don't call me movie star. I don't do movies. Mm. <laughs> Why not? What's so awful about movies? The money, fame, working with visionaries, reaching millions of people? I don't just want to make, I don't just want to take the first movie job that's offered to me. Is that what's going to make me happy? Being one of the outsiders? No, I'm going to wait for the right one. And what if you never find the right one? Then I'll never do a movie. What's so wrong with that? Did you find it? Mick finds a red high heel and offers it to Val, who doesn't take it. I don't think it's her size, uh, but she's not coming back for it. He discards the high heel, pushes the ottoman toward the center of the room. Oh, what did we do last night? A little of everything. Mick <laughs> is now standing on the ottoman. He peers on top of the ceiling fan. Did you and I... Mick finds Val's shoe resting on one of the blades of the ceiling fan and holds it up. I mean, we were both there. <laughs> it was a party. <laughs> Mick hands in the shoe and hops off the ottoman. Bell sits and starts to put it on. I have to go. So soon. I have a plane to catch. Mm. That'll be tricky. We've got visitors out there. Cops? Nah, no law enforcement. Just your average angry mob of local protesters and press. Val runs to the window. They must have got wind at our little Christmas party. Gack. <laughs> she looks out the window, reading. Hey, you, get off of our cloud? <laughs> it's a funny story. My brilliant guitar player once called the place the arsehole of the world. And the people are of uh, Inver Cargill have not forgotten that. And why do you come here to vacation? I come here to get away. Every time I pop down here for the weekend, I'm the enemy. Oh. Yeah. See, this is what I mean. You're one of the most beloved guys in the world, and your vacation is to go somewhere where everyone hates your guts. I don't want that. I don't come down here to get away from fame, you git. Uh, I come here to get away from Keith. From Keith? That's the one place in the world I know he will never be. A whole city that thinks he's a prick. I'd join them in the protests if I could, except I'm implicated in his behavior. He's such a prick that I've been become a prick by association. So he's a bad influence. He's a poor influence. I didn't know you two were fighting. I'm not fighting. I'm moving forward and he's trying to keep things where they are. Just like you. You're afraid of the future. 
I'm not afraid. You turned down a starring role in a Francis Ford Coppola film. I can't get starring roles in a Francis Ford Coppola film. <laughs> what kind of actor does that? I think you could get a starring role in a Coppola film if you wanted that. I don't want that. You want that. I have what I want. I go after what I want, and I get it. Why won't you? I do. What do you want? I want to do work that makes a difference. I want to write and direct theater. That's what I want. And I want to get back home in time for Christmas. Fine. Fine. So how do I get out of here? My blokes here will help you out. I've done this a few times. You'll be back in New York City as if you never left. Just in time for Christmas, science, dinner, whatever. Uh, but you have to do something for me. Do what? Take my Christmas gift. And what is that? Advice. Something about what you want. Take the film, sign the contract. I don't want to be a movie star. You're gonna be. I went to Juilliard. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to the London School of Economics. Listen to me. That's going to happen to you. You have to make sure it happens on your terms. I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen at all. That ain't gonna work. Val gets his suitcase and heads for the door. Thanks for the advice. I'm not gonna take it. Val opens the door. <laughs> <laughs> then I can't help you get past them all about that. Uh, I think I'll manage. How's that? They don't know who I am. Oh, they will. Not if I can help it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. Merry Christmas, Mick. And thank you. You did give me a gift. He gestures toward the trash hotel room. You flew me down here and you showed me what it's like to live this life. And now I know. I know that I will never, never be like you. I'm going to focus on what's important. So thanks for reminding me of that. I hope you and Keith patch things up. I'll see you around. Val exits the room, shutting the door behind him, and Mick looks at the mess. Gack. <laughs> Blackout and his play. <laughs> All right, and that was uh, inspired uh, by How Bizarre, which sounds a little like this. Yeah, so <clears throat> there's this, I guess, trilogy in progress. It's kind of been a joke that it's a trilogy in progress, but I think I started writing the third one this year. Um, plays, short plays developed in Cry Havoc where uh, celebrity unknowingly affects the lives of non-celebrity people who are the main characters of the plays. Um, and so there's this play, Michael Bay's America, where Val Kilmer buys a, a work of art that has, forces these lovers to reconcile and get closure in their relationship. And there's this play, All Over Me, where Mick Jagger invites a young woman uh, out to Africa with him, and it affects her relationship with her living boyfriend. 
Um, and then I guess the third one is the one is the Peebo Bryson one that I brought in a workshop this year. He's the third of that trifecta. So maybe it'll be a Peebo play next year. But so I've been trying to find an excuse to get Mick Jagger and Val Kilmer together just as a fun holiday play. And this uh, band, OMC, is from New Zealand. And so I was kind of looking at like New Zealand, Rolling Stones, Val Kilmer, and when they could have like been there or done something. And the timing of it worked out crazily that the Rolling Stones were fighting and recording their worst album, Undercover, <laughs> on hiatus. And, uh, and uh, the, those two were fighting a lot. And uh, uh, Val Kilmer had just graduated from Juilliard and was like, turned down this, the role in The Outsiders. Francis Ford Coppola's The Outsiders ended up being, who was it that was the lead in it? Uh, that guy. Anyway, uh, in order to like be a serious theater actor, which looking back at Val Kilmer's life seems kind of funny. So I thought, what if these two guys were here in this place that Keith Richards called the asshole of the world and uh, and d deliberated on fame a little bit and had a, a fight about that. And so that that's how we got here. All right. Excellent. Uh, next up, we have Take Me or Leave Me by Will Rogers. Inspired by the song, If You Could Only See, as performed by Tonic, and featuring the characters Kate from his play, The Off-Broadway Murder Mystery. And uh, we have reading this, Jersey, and Rosanda, the Rambo. Take Me or Leave Me, a very short holiday play by Will Rogers, Cry Havoc Workshop Regular. Christmas morning in a Brooklyn apartment. Papers and various winter clothing have been discarded on almost every surface of this living room kitchen combo, because that is how you know where to find them. The title menu of Home Alone is idling on a mounted TV across the big squishy couch. Chris, 32, is throwing some sweaters into a suitcase. Finishing, he zips it up and not without effort stands it near the front door. At that moment, his pocket vibrates and he reaches in to see a text. Ring the bell. Just as he begins to type, the buzzer sounds. Ah. Chris pushes a button on an intercom near the door and a mechanical zzz comes over the speaker. <laughs> Returning his phone to his pocket, he cracks the door and heads into the kitchen to put the kettle on. After a moment, the sound of footsteps jogging up a flight of marble stairs is heard, and bang, Kate, 25, Chris's younger sister, bursts into the room. Hey! Sorry I'm late. Merry Christmas morning, it's okay. Merry Christmas morning, I have to pee so bad. Do it! <laughs> Kate drops a large purse onto the floor, places a loaf-shaped something wrapped in tin foil onto the coffee table, and rushes down a hallway as Chris pours Swiss Miss packets into two mugs. I think we have just enough time. JFK's 45 away, so if we call a car when the wet bandits are flooding the neighbor's house, we're golden. <laughs> How was last night? Huh? Uh, sorry, never... I was wondering if Stephen... Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, my God, you made the banana bread? Wait! Sorry. Chris picks up the loaf-shaped object wrapped in tin foil and sniffs it. Yeah. <laughs> a flush, the sound of water running, and after a moment, Kate returns to the room. Yeah! <laughs> Sorry I didn't answer your text last night. Dad will love this! Oh, it's cool. I figured you were in it. <laughs> Are you alright? Yeah. Did Steven take it okay? You have anything to drink? I'm doing Swissmas. Is that Grand Marnier in the hot chocolate? 
Sounds really good, actually. Uh-oh. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Here, water should be done in a second. Chris grabs a bottle of Grand Marnier from a shelf and places it on the counter. Kate takes a cup from the dish rack. I think I won a shot, too. Well, every relationship teaches us something. Stephen would be proud. <laughs> this stops Kate just after pouring a healthy shot. She sets down the bottle, walks into the living room, sits on the couch, and picks up the wrapped loaf. You gotta put this in your bag. Dude, no, I'm full. Take something out. You don't need every Christmas sweater for a four-day trip. Where's your bag? Here. Your purse. It's a carry-on. That's not fair. Your clothes are, like, stitched together with handkerchiefs. The kettle on the stove slowly begins to whistle. You wanted the bread, right? Yeah. You guilted me into it, didn't you? No. Oh, telling me it didn't feel like Christmas the last three years wasn't guilting? Dad said it didn't. And that's because of the bread? A big part of it, yes. Nothing to do with Mom? Everything to do with you not making it once she was gone. The kettle screams as they both stare at each other. Finally, Chris notices it and removes it from the burner. Not everything. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to guilt you. I just thought it'd be nice to bring it back. It's back. Take out a couple of sweaters. <laughs> I don't think that's happening. We should really start the movie if we want to finish. Let's not lose that tradition yet. Hey, you seem good, though. Yeah? I mean, you know, you've had this darkness like we talked about the other day when you're constantly fighting and making up and fighting and making up, especially with a stunted male, it puts this anxious cloud over everything. <laughs> like Indy at the end of Last Crusade, you never know where to stop or to step. <laughs> or you're constantly remembering what alphabet to use, Latin or Greek. I'm not sure what that means. It's a bad analogy. You're free now, is my point. I'm saying he's 45? It's a problem that when he gets into it with someone who is 25, you're the mature one. Did you want this in your cocoa or just your massive shot? It was my fault, too. No, but it's not. You didn't break up, Chris. Chris puts the bottle on the counter. The darkness isn't from him. It's from my brother not accepting what I want, for not trusting me. You said... You didn't hear what I said. I canceled my ticket. My flight home. What? Yesterday I was asking you to support me, and all you could hear was that it had to end. I don't want it to end. Be there with me. It's not easy, but be there with me as it continues. I am. Well, I'm moving into his apartment. Oh, God, you can't. See, it's not your choice. I mean, shouldn't for your own sake. It's such a bad idea. If you could only see how he looks at me. When we make up, I literally feel his eyes reaching out. He needs me. But I don't care. I don't think you care. I can't, so I can't be around you. Care? Of course I care. But you're only seeing your way. His eyes are like vacuums. They're pits. They're not pyramids. Not reaching out, but he's sucking you down. You don't get to see what I see. You're not there. I don't have to be. I'm not here to argue with you. I'm not going to do that anymore. 
You get to accept what I decide for once. I've tried to please you and dad and mom my whole life. Who knew all I can please is myself. So you and dad can take or leave me. You didn't cancel that ticket. Take or leave me. I did. No way. Put the bread in your purse and sit down. I'm not. Kate, I've been there. That's why. I've been through this. That's how I know better. You haven't been through me. I have to be there. I have to be in this. I want your support, but you stopped giving it when I started to find my own way. Do this for me. Take the bread. No, I get it. Relationships. I get it. I get it. We'll talk. I have the miles. Let me just get on the site. We'll find you a ticket that's not crazy. That won't work. Maybe you get in late tonight, but that's fine. We'll have Christmas. We'll talk. I'm not going, Chris. You're protecting this idea of family. Protect me. Take the bread. Be my ambassador to dad. We'll meet on the other side and have a new year for the both of us. If you're too afraid to bring the bread yourself, I guess it's staying here. Well, I am staying here, Chris. And I've never felt so brave. Hope I see you in the new year. Kate grabs her purse and walks out the door, shutting it behind her softly. Chris immediately walks to the couch and sits. He grabs the DVD remote and hits play. After a beat, he hits stop and looks over to the loaf of bread sitting on the coffee table. Grabbing it, he quickly takes it across the room to the trash and hovers it over the lip of the receptacle. Instead of dropping it in, he sets it on the counter and pulls out his phone. He texts someone. Slowly, he goes over to his suitcase, unzips it, and his phone rings. Hey. Yeah, um, Kate isn't coming home. No, I know, but yeah, I think um, I think she's okay. Uh, she is, Dad. She's okay. I have to uh, I have to finish packing. I'm sorry, but we'll we'll talk about it more tonight. Okay. Love you. Bye. Chris looks into his bag, grabs two Christmas sweaters, and sets them aside. End of play. Mm told me that the main singer actually it's written to his mom or his family he was dating some older woman his family totally uh, objected to this and he felt the need to uh, break ties with his family to be with uh, the older woman and this uh, so I also I, I have a character Kate is a character from a play that I'm uh, full length that I'm working on that um, I felt uh, it would be good for me to explore writing female characters uh, I need to work on as well, and so it was a good opportunity as an exercise. 
And then it sort of paralyzed, par paralyzed my own life. Uh, it parallels uh, my own life. Um, in, in addition to being paralyzing at times. Uh, I have a younger sister who's about uh, eight years younger than me and uh, who likes to date much older men. And, uh, and so uh, it, it, I, was, I, yeah, I couldn't... I couldn't ignore the situation, you know. Obviously, the universe and Kit was trying to tell me something. So, um, no, so I just went for it uh, and tried to explore my relationship as well as exploring this person who's in a play that I'm trying to write and the song. Yeah. All right. All right. Next up, we have Snowball by Jennifer Rikers. Inspired by the song Foolish Games by Jewel, and featuring the character Madison from her play Just Julia. And we have Julia Bilbao, Allie Keller, and Madeline Lawson. Snowball. <laughs> A very short holiday play by Jennifer Riker, Cry Havoc, Cry Havoc resident artist. A teenage girl's basement bedroom, walls covered with posters, and aqua iMac on the desk. Darla, 13, lanky and tearful, stands looking at her reflection in the vanity mirror. She sings dramatically, Foolish Games, by <laughs> These foolish games are tearing me apart. Admires the tears and continues <laughs> smokily accompanying Jewel. You're always brilliant in the morning, smoking your cigarettes and chocolate coffee. She raises her arms and slow dances with an imaginary partner looking up in his eyes. Oh, Dylan, yes, you can kiss me. A knock on the door. Darla slaps the music off, freezing, then brushing away tears. Another knock. Darla, it's Tasha. Get in here, hurry! The door opens and Tasha, made up and glowing, clomps downstairs carrying a garment bag. I got my cousin's dress. It's perfect for you for the snowball. Close the door. Tasha clomps back up and closes the door. Why? Madison's upstairs. New Madison? Why? Her mom and my mom are in the same prayer group at church, so my mom told her to bring her along to the cookie swap so we can hang out. <laughs> so you're hiding. She's so... She thinks she's hot snot. Let me see. Tasha unveils a white tweeled sequin cocktail dress. Darla holds up the dress to herself. You will look slamming, chick. Dylan's eyes are going to pop out. He's never going to ask me. He makes me so crazy. I'll never have a boyfriend. There's no good ones left. I'll have to be alone until high school. Are you sure he likes me? Yes, Jeff said that he said that you were banging. We'll make, we'll make him ask you, and then we can all go together. A knock on the door, Darla Free. Hello? She knows you're here. <laughs> Come on, she's not stuck up, she's just quiet. Come in. 
The door opens and Madison, athletic and timid, tiptoes downstairs carrying a plate of cookies. Hi, Tasha. Hi, Darla. Your mom told me to bring these cookies for us to eat now. <laughs> offers Darla the cookie plate. Darla motions for her to set it on the desk. She does. <laughs> that reminds me. Look what I snagged on the way in. Eggnog. Tasha pulls a carton of eggnog out of her bag and holds it aloft. Is there alcohol in that? <laughs> <laughs> it's eggnog, isn't it? She opens the carton, takes a swig, and hands it to Darla. Have some. Darla swigs the eggnog. Did you find your red scarf for the Christmas choir concert? Yes. Do you have one, Madison? <laughs> I told you guys the concert is the same day as my track meet. Hmm. Carla takes it. <laughs> she catches sight of herself holding the dress in the mirror. She takes another swing and admires the dress. Is that for the concert? No. It's for the snowball. It's so fancy. I don't have anything like that. Just Sunday dresses. You should go shopping. Soon. Usually people get semi-formal dresses at Macy's. Are they expensive? Darla shrugs and swigs the eggnog. Tasha takes the eggnog from Darla. Does everyone in seventh grade go? Everyone in seventh and eighth. Do they not have semi-formal dances where we came from? Tasha takes a swig of the eggnog and hands it to Madison. She gingerly takes a sip. Not in elementary. I guess there's prom for the high schoolers. So the snowball isn't just a couple's dance. Tasha takes a cookie from the plate, takes the eggnog from Madison, and sprawls on Darla's bed. Not technically. I mean, last year, all of us popular girls went to dances together, but in junior high, if you don't go with a boyfriend, you're nobody. It's like you didn't even go. If I don't get asked, I'll die. I won't sit at the loser girl group while you and Jeff and everyone are all Darla makes handsy, slow-dancing motions. Madison reaches for a cookie. Don't eat the peanut butter kiss. That's Darla's favorite. Madison takes a cookie. <laughs> Madison takes a different cookie. Didn't Christopher ask you? Oh. He's too short. I look like a babysitter. <laughs> <laughs> you better be right about Dylan. It's getting too late for him to ask me. Dylan Marlowe? The eighth grader? He had to retake science. They're lab partners. <laughs> Do you think he asked Becky? No. Everyone would know if Dylan had a date. He's into you. He's just being a boy. Madison sits in the desk chair. Are you guys a couple? Not yet, but last week he loaned her his jacket on the bus. <laughs> What do I do? Nothing. It's gonna happen. Trust me. And and then you'll be eating lunch with all the eighth graders, and you'll forget all about me. I would never. If I'm sitting at the eighth grade table, you are too. He's cool, right? <laughs> too cool. 
Darla sprawls on her bed, takes the eggnog, and swings it. What are you gonna wear? You're going, right? I don't know. I have to talk to my mom. I could tell my mom to talk to her. Everybody goes. I think she will let me. It's just before she said I couldn't date till I was 15. Date? Who's your date? No one yet. Uh-oh. I'm sure someone will ask you. It's not till Friday. Yeah, I, you have that new girl smell. It's fine if you go alone now. I maybe got asked. Really? Who was it? Tasha pats the bed between her and Darla. I don't want to say. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Bring the cookies. Madison brings the cookies and sits between the other girls on the bed. Mark. Chris? Seventh grade boys are so immature. Oh, no, it wasn't. Oh, it was one of those eighth grade hormone factories that I asked you. Well, yeah. Don't hold out on us, chick. <laughs> he might have been kidding. Oh, come on, no one asked her. I did get asked. Was it Howard? He's so gross. <laughs> it's all right, he asked everyone. You guys would be a good couple. <laughs> it was Dylan. He did not. What? He would have said. Yesterday. I caught him smoking behind the gym during track practice. What happened? <laughs> what did he say? I said he shouldn't be smoking and he said he couldn't help it. <laughs> I stole his cigarettes and he tried to get them back so I put them in my shirt and he said that wasn't fair and I said it was for his own good and then he smiled and said go to the snowball with me <laughs> I wasn't sure if I was going but I'd let him know on Monday Tasha's side the cake collapses Darla gives her side eye no way that happened. <laughs> You're just saying that because you know I like them. Why would I do that? I'm not a liar. How would we know? Madison <laughs> scoots off the bed, grabs her purse off the chair. She digs in it and pulls out a half-empty carton of cigarettes. See? Let me see that. Madison hands her the carton. Darla carefully opens it and pulls out a lighter. Tasha reaches over and takes a cigarette, putting it in her mouth. Darla puts one in her mouth, too. Go to the snowball with me, baby. You have to say no. Oh, yeah. You should go with Mark. He's cute. He is. But you said he was immature. Dylan always asks me about my running. I liked Dylan first. I've known him longer. Mark's a good kid. And she liked Dylan first. <laughs> it's a friend rule. You can't go out with a guy your friend likes. We're friends? Of course. Tasha hands Madison the <laughs> Madison takes a swig. Darla pats the bed next to her. Tasha can lend you a dress. Her cousin has tons if you want to borrow. Yeah, I loan them to all my friends. Madison sits on the edge of the bed. She reaches over and picks up the cigarette carton. I think you only want to be my friend because of the friend rule. No. 
we like you, you're cool, we're cool, don't you want to be friends with us? <laughs> Madison slings her purse over her shoulder, takes her lighter uh, back from Darla, stands up and heads for the door. I'm gonna go. Come on, Madison, you can have the other peanut butter kiss. You don't have other girlfriends, Madison. Darla, Madison, don't go. Madison stops and turns back. Tasha pats the bed invitingly. Madison looks at Darla. Not here, maybe. Maybe here I'll just have boyfriends.
He glances in that direction and then looks back at the TV. All of a sudden, tiny footsteps are heard at the top of the stairs. Hank's eyes lock onto the screen. Mia, nine, wearing a poofy party dress and a cone-shaped party hat, walks somberly down the stairs. She spots Hank and rolls her tiny hands into fists. Why are you still here? I told you to go home. It's a New Year's party. It's not over till New Year's. Leave. Huh? Now. Hank shrugs and turns back to the TV. She walks directly to the other end of the couch and screams at him. Ah! <laughs> Mia takes a breath. Her screams aren't yielding the desired results. She relocates to directly in front of the TV. She looks Hank in the eye. your party guest out of here right before midnight. Mia stops shouting and her eyes begin to well with tears. Hank pretends not to notice. Do you want to talk about it? No. <laughs> she snaps the elastic band from her party hat under her chin to stop herself from crying. She flinches. Ow. Don't do that. She it's glares at Hank. It's my party, Hank, so I do what I want. If you don't like it, leave. She does it harder. Ow! Fine. Mia lets out a sigh of relief, believing that she's won the argument. Hank smirks and snaps his own elastic band under his party hat. Ouch. <laughs> Mia growls, beat. Their eyes stay locked on each other. The corner of Mia's mouth goes up. She moves the party hat to the front of her head like a horn. I am a rhinosaurus! Mia charges at Hank, who jumps up from the couch just in time to avoid getting headbutted. Mia face glints. <laughs> Ow! Why would you do that? Why would you try to spear your only party guest? Mia's eyes water. She snaps the elastic under her party hat. Her tears stop. You're not my guest. I'm throwing you out. You invited me. But you only came because my dad invited Lennox, and you came with her. If that were true, I'd have gone with Lennox and your dad. And I wouldn't have waited here for you to come back. But you didn't come after me. Well, I didn't want you to have to be alone on New Year's. But I want to be alone. And if that were true, you would have stayed upstairs. Mia glares at Hank. Plus, I'm really enjoying your awesome party. <laughs> Mia looks around the room at all the decorations, the table with untouched noisemakers, the uneaten food, the 19 leftover party hats. She turns back to Hank. What is wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with me, Hank. I'm perfect. There's nothing I'd change about this New Year's, because I'm a rhinosaurus, and I'm glad nobody came to my party. I don't need friends. Not even me? Nope. Hank's eyes well up with fake tears. No. <laughs> I didn't realize this was a pity invite. I thought I was finally invited to a New Year's Eve party. <laughs> Hank begins to cry into his hands a little. He checks through his fingers to make sure she's looking. <laughs> she is, and her eyes well up a little bit again. She snaps the elastic under her party hat. She flinches. I didn't mean to make you sad. I know. It's my fault. 
I should have known a super cool rhinosaurus wouldn't just invite me to her party because she liked me. And I'd finally be able to New Year's with someone. I'm too weird for anybody to want a New Year's with me. Tears start streaming down Mia's face. I didn't mean to make you feel weird. You can stay in New Year's with me if you want. But I wouldn't. Hank peeks through his fingers. You don't think I'm too weird? Mia starts to cry a little harder. Hank lets his hands fall away from his face. No, you are. But I'm... <laughs> but I'm, I'm worse. I'll make you worse. That's why no one, is in my, no one in my class came. Cause my dad's right, I do make other people weird. And with that confession, Mia starts sobbing and buries her head in a pillow. Hank starts to fight back real tears as he watches Mia break down. He goes to put his hand on her back, but doesn't. Then her head, but doesn't. His hand just hovers over, for her, over her for a moment and he, until he finally gives up and puts it back at his side. That's not what he said, Mia. That's not what's happening. Yeah, it is, and it's true. Billy Tetterman used to be my husband, but then I drew him a secret picture of his sheep wrestling and left it in his desk, and he divorced me, and he showed his mom, and she wrote a note to get his desk moved away from me so nobody came to my party. Well, you're, you're too good for Billy Tetterman. Don't be dumb, Hank. Billy Tetterman is the second most popular Billy in our class. <laughs> But I bet you're the best Mia. If that were true, my mom would come home. Hank hesitates. Because my dad's right. My weird drives people away. No, no. He, he was just upset that your mom canceled coming to the party so last minute. Mia, still crying, slowly slides her little body down off the couch like she's melting to the floor. Her dress lifts as she slides. She's wearing red Christmas underwear. Hank watches her slide. Just go, Hank. Let me kick you out so at least I can decide when one person goes. No. Please, Hank. No, Mia, because I'm not going anywhere. But you gotta. No, Linux didn't leave me, and I'm not leaving you. What? When I was younger, I tutored kids in math. Everything from fractions. I just learned those. Yeah, to calculus. Until a rumor uh, started going around about me that wasn't very nice. That you were bad at math? No. <laughs> no, I was very good at math. Uh, the point is. Was it because you yelled at the students? No. That you bit into your Kit Kats without breaking them apart first? What? Don't trust anyone who bites into their Kit Kats, Hank. Those people cannot be trusted. Okay. The, uh, the point is that uh, that rumor made parents feel about me the way you feel about people who bite into their Kit Kats. Oh, no, that's really bad. It was. And pretty soon... The only student I had left was Lennox, because she was old enough to make her own decision. And I was so sad and mad at myself that I tried to quit tutoring her, but she wouldn't let me. She said that I helped her get through senior year, so she was going to help me get through this. And after a while, 
she made me feel so much better that I married her. Do you see what I'm saying? That if you don't leave people alone, they'll marry you again? <laughs> no, um, that having tons of friends doesn't matter. You just need good ones. The ones who will keep your secrets. You just need to find a rhinosaurus that's as cool as you. Mia smiles. Hank melts. Feet. The announcer on the TV tells everyone the countdown is starting. Oh, God, what do you say? We get those, those two back in here and have a New Year's. Huh? Hey, guys, the... Uh, Mia shoves her hand over Hank's mouth. He quickly swats it away. No, I want you to be my rhinosaurus this New Year's. But Lennox is... No, yeah. I need you this year. Hey, Lynn, uh, can you come back inside? It's almost New Year's, Lynn. On the TV. Three, two, one. Happy New Year. They hear the same phrase echoed in the back room by Kyle and Lennox. Happy New Year, Hank. Mia turns Hank's face and she kisses him on the lips. For a split second, they look into each other's eyes. Hank blushes. Then his face turns red and he abruptly shoves Mia off of him. No. Mia falls to the floor. Her head just misses the table. Did I do it wrong? He slides to a far end of the couch, rips the party, off, party hat off his head, and places it on top of his lap in one fluid motion. No, um, no, it's just, uh, I just, I, no, I, I, um, I promised Lennox the first kiss of the new year. Mia slowly sits down close to Hank. Don't worry, Hank. She touches Hank's party hat for comfort. Hank places his hand on top of hers. He doesn't remove it. He just holds her hand on top of the party hat for a moment. I'll keep your secrets, too. Hank shudders and immediately stands up. He starts to leave, but hears muffled laughter coming from the back room again. He freezes, looks down, and then back at Mia and begins to cry. End of play. about a woman in the song who's another addict 
who doesn't seem to be totally aware of what she's doing or what's happening. Um, so that, to me, <laughs> immediately made me think of Hank and Mia. Um, Hank being older and fully aware of what his addictions are and what his problems are and how he's trying to get through the day. Um, and Mia, who is a new person and desperately needs a family connection and things in her own right, and sort of them being the worst people for one another and also the exact person that the other one needs. Um, and I went back to the song today to look at like the lyrics that really inspired it, and I blacked out like two lines, because it's really a lot of it's from the song. But um, the main section I think from it is, um, now I'm struggling to survive those days you were wearing that velvet dress. You're the priestess. I must confess, those little red panties they passed the test slide up around the belly face down on the mattress. And then uh, in the chorus, um, not listening to you when you say goodbye. Um, so that's it. before our final uh, three, but our uh, next break is, uh, no, our next play <laughs> is uh, Little One by Julia Bilbao, inspired by the song I'll Be Missing You, as performed by Puff Daddy, <laughs> and featuring the character Trevor from her play Annie Philaxis. and uh, we have Jenny Curlin and Will Clark. Little One, a very short holiday play by Julia Bilbao. Triadic Apprentice Program alumna. Brooklyn, New York, present day, a twinkly Christmas tree sits in the corner of an apartment living area. Layla, late 20s, kneels at the foot of the tree, gazing up at it. In the adjoining kitchen, a, near, a nearly empty bottle of red wine sits on the counter. Keys jingle as a door is unlocked. Trevor, late 20s, enters. His wool coat is sprinkled with snow. He stomps his boots off and throws them aside. He heaves a grocery bag onto the counter. Ho, 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 hot chocolate and George Bailey's. <laughs> wow, I see you've gotten started without me. Layla holds her face in her hands and begins to weep. Uh-oh. She turns her face to him. Tears mixed with mascara stream down her face. I can't believe he's gone. She bursts into sobs and runs to him. Oh, God. But your uncle's lab results were optimistic last week. When did this happen? Why, why didn't you call me? It was so sudden. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, Layla. But he was 76. He had a long life. He was my furry little muffin. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Rest in peace, Pierre. I will never forget you. Your hamster. Gerbil! <laughs> He's a ger- Was he gerbil? <laughs> All right, we, we need to remember to breathe, right? Layla nods and sniffles as she slows her breathing. She closes her eyes and begins taking slow, long breaths. In through the nose, out through the mouth. Trevor begins pulling ingredients out of the grocery bag and puts a saucepan on the stove. What you need is some hot chocolate. I got the good stuff. Dark chocolate Godiva with real marshmallows, not the chocolate little mouse turds that come in the packet. <laughs> this little turd. 
Trevor abandons the hot chocolate and guides Layla to a stool at the kitchen counter. She sits. He takes the stool next to her. Breathe. <laughs> Want to tell me what happened? Something horrible. Just, just keep breathing. <laughs> so his Christmas present was delivered today? And I just couldn't wait to give it to him till tomorrow. That ball that they run around in, right? Yes. Best one there is, the, the Critter Crawler 3000. <laughs> I put it in his cage and it was so cute. He jumped, he jumped right in. And, and you know, yeah, there just wasn't enough room in there for him to run around without banging into things, so I brought him into the hallway. Oh, no. <laughs> he was surprisingly very good at it. Well, he found the stairs and... <laughs> Jesus. I think he broke his neck. <laughs> he made this little... And it, it just it, it echoed in the stairwell. I can't, I can't, I can't. It, it, I can't stop it's gonna, hearing it's gonna it. Be, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. No. What did you do with him? Well, uh, when you got here, I was in the middle of saying goodbye. Layla wipes away her tears, walking toward the Christmas tree. Trevor follows. I will never forget you, Pierre. You will always be in my heart. Hanging next to a football playing Santa Claus ornament is a transparent plastic ball. The Critter Crawler 3000. And Pierre is still inside. <laughs> that is unsanitary. I know. Why did you hang him on the tree? I don't really know. <laughs> but I'm having trouble taking him down. Okay, <laughs> My family is coming tomorrow, Layla. I know. Trevor cautiously reaches for the ornament. Why don't we move no, him No, to don't touch him! <laughs> Why are you being weird about this? <laughs> murdered my gerbil, Trevor. You, you didn't murder him. You just facilitated his death. Exactly. If it weren't for me, he'd be alive. Not necessarily. You probably gave him a longer life than normal. He, he could have been eaten by a family dog or strangled by an overly lovable toddler or, or fed to the snakes at the pet store. Great. So I'm an overly lovable... Murderer. <laughs> it was an accident. It was an accident, Layla. It being an accident doesn't excuse anything. Lives are lost out of negligence all the time. Children or elderly people have been left in cars on the 100 degree days with the windows closed. Would you like to file a wrongful death claim uh, against yourself? The courthouse is definitely closed tomorrow, but we can be there first thing Monday morning. Why do you have to make light of everything, Trevor? I'm upset. I'm really sorry your gerbil died, Layla. You need to forgive yourself, though. I don't know how. 
Well, hanging him on the Christmas tree definitely isn't the solution. He deserves a proper burial, right? Let's take him to the park. The ground is frozen. You don't know that for sure. I already tried. Layla <laughs> collapses onto the couch. Trevor joins her. I'm sorry this happened. But do you really want Charlie here tomorrow with Pierre hanging up in plain sight? He's a toddler. You know how curious he is. He puts everything he can get in his hands and his mouth. I got Charlie's present today. Hey, that's great. Did you get that? Uh, did you go to that place that just opened on North Fourth? It's called Wee Babe. Yeah. <laughs> what did you end up getting? Uh, an interactive lamb stuffed animal named Liz. <laughs> there was an interactive donkey uh, named Don. Don. Don too. And I, I was trying to decide if I should get him the boy animal or the girl animal. And I decided that I shouldn't have to get him the dumb male donkey toy just because he's a boy. True. I'm sure he'll love it. And what are you going to do next week, Trevor? Trevor puts his arm around her. You did the right thing. I know. You I have three more years of... Uh, med school, I know. And by the time you're done, you'll be 32. <laughs> and we can actually plan for it. I could use those three years to get my savings in a good place, too. No, I don't. Okay. Layla picks herself up and approaches the tree. Trevor follows. She gently takes the critter crawler down and makes her way to the kitchen. She holds the plastic ball out to Trevor. Will you open it, please? He takes the ball in his hands and opens it. Layla carefully scoops Pierre out. Oh. Merry Christmas, little one. I'm going to put you in the garbage can outside now. <laughs> so sorry. Uh, I could call someone, see if we can get a hold dog. No, that's all right. I'll say goodbye to him out there. Layla puts Pierre inside an empty grocery bag, slips on her shoes, and grabs her coat. I'll be right back. Okay. Layla exits, leaving Trevor. He looks down at Pierre's Christmas present in his hands. He fiddles with it for a moment until it's back in one piece. Then, taking it by the string, he hangs it back up on the tree. Blackout. End of play. by uh, I'll Be Missing You, uh, by uh, Diddy. And, uh, <laughs> it was Puff Daddy. It was Puff Daddy. <laughs> <laughs>
coming to terms with the fact that I just take a Puff Daddy song seriously. And <laughs> second with the fact that no matter how hard I tried to like analyze it and read between the lines, the fact was that it was about death and about losing someone and, and someone that you love. And because it's Puff Daddy talking about Biggie Small and, and he misses him. And because he's dead. Um, and, um, so I ended up thinking about my, my best friend who lost her rabbit this summer. And it was a rabbit that she had for about 48 hours. <laughs> but it was the end of the world. It was like the entire earth shattered. And she had this whole memorial burial. It was like her Instagram went from like sunny, cute bunny to like sad, dead bunny. Uh, and, and in reality, it's, it, it was funny and it was like, you know, I couldn't take her seriously, but at a certain point, she was also going through something, and she was using this animal that she didn't actually have this connection, like very strong connection with, to like let out her emotions about something actually serious and about someone she actually loved. Um, so yeah, it was inspired by her. Hello, this is Jennifer Reichert, a Cry Havoc resident playwright and the producer of the Cry Havoc podcast. While our live audience takes a break for holiday cookies and beverages, I wanted to let you know that you, or a theater lover in your life, can get all of these very short holiday plays, plus 11 others by Cry Havoc playwrights, when you support Cry Havoc's new play development and educational programming this holiday season. Just go to www.cryhavoccompany.org gift to learn how. Copies of the holiday plays will continue to be available at this address even after the holiday season is ended. Now we will rejoin the event with Jen Kerfman and Will Clark reading Empty Handed by Caitlin Wilcox, inspired by the song Together Again by Janet Jackson, featuring the character Joseph from her play Last Call. A very short holiday play by Caitlin Wilcox, Cry Havoc resident artist. Lights rise on a small but comfortable studio apartment, sound of the door being unlocked and a woman talking on her cell phone. Clara enters, late 20s, barely visible under heavy winter outerwear, dusted with snow. She hastily removes layer after layer as she speaks into her phone. I'm so sorry, babe. The driver dropped you off where? Just, just tell me, tell me what cross streets you're at. Okay, great, you're actually almost here. It's the next corner, building number 107. And then buzz 4A. Okay, see you soon, love you. Clara hangs up the call and tosses her phone on the counter. She takes a small drugstore plastic bag out of her purse and pulls out an opened pregnancy test box. 
She removes a wad of toilet paper from the box and unrolls it to reveal a used test stick. She smiles for a moment, then snaps into action, racing to a closet and pulling out a roll of wrapping paper. She rips off a large piece, folds it around the test stick way too many times, <laughs> sticks a bow on top to secure it, then places it under a tiny Christmas tree on the coffee table. Suddenly the buzzer rings. She pushes the button. Come on up. She carries, she scurries around the apartment to clean up, pausing to smooth down her hair and put on some lipstick in the mirror. <clears throat> After a moment, there's a knock at the door. Clara unlocks it and swings it open to reveal Joseph, late 20s, wearing a backpack and a thin winter coat with what appears to be, with what appear to be icicles in his beard. Chicago is freaking cold. Yeah. You look like the abominable snowman. She gives him a big hug and kiss. She starts brushing the snow off him as he awkwardly enters, trying not to track too much slush into the apartment. I'm so sorry the cab driver got lost. They usually know this area pretty well. It's, it's fine. Well, you're here now. Sit down. Let's get you warmed up. Joseph takes off his backpack and Clara leads him to the couch. Honey, you know I love you, but it's really time you got some actual grown-up person luggage. Sometimes it's easier to travel light. So what do you want to do when you're here? Chicago has so much fun stuff going on for the holidays, I can't wait to show you around the city. Actually, I was kind of hoping we could keep it low-key this weekend. Oh. Okay, sure. You know what? I'd be happy if we just ordered pizza and watched Christmas movies the whole time. Clara snuggles up closer to Joseph. Or we could just focus on keeping you warmed up all weekend. Clara starts kissing Joseph playfully. He gently uh, breaks away and clears his throat. <coughs> Can I, uh, could I get something to drink? Oh, sure. Sorry. Claire jumps up, crosses to the fridge, grabbing a bottle of beer. I meant to stop on my way home and get that IPA you really like, but I got totally wrapped up in this project we're trying to finish at work. It's amazing how motivated you can be when you actually like your job. <laughs> she hops back on the couch and hands Joseph the bottle of beer. This is fine. He takes a long drink and puts the bottle on the coffee table, where he notices the tiny Christmas tree and the present underneath it. He stiffens. What's that? A surprise. Clara, we said we weren't doing gifts this year. I know, but... I didn't get you anything. You were my Christmas present. Clara kisses Joseph again, this time more intensely. Joseph breaks away forcefully. What's wrong? <sighs> Clara, this isn't working out. What? Us. This, this, this isn't working. Whoa, okay. Slow down. Joseph, we knew long distance would be hard, but it's just temporary. No, it isn't. I know it feels that way now. We haven't seen each other in two months, and I've missed you too. It's, it's not that. But you were the one who made this arbitrary rule that we should wait till I got settled before you moved here. Well, I'm settled. Move here. Move to Chicago. I don't want to move to Chicago. Ever? No. 
Why didn't you tell me that when I got the job? This is my dream job, Joseph. I can't just get a job like this anywhere. That's why I didn't tell you. I, I figured I'd wait it out, see how it went. Maybe you wouldn't like it. Maybe you'd come back, but I didn't want you staying just for me. I wouldn't have. Joseph, I don't get it. I, I know, I know it's cold and the football team sucks, but what's really so bad about Chicago? Uh, I, I know you don't get it. It's just not home. And what's so great about home? You're a bartender who spends every Monday night watching football with his dad and whose best friend is his 10-year-old nephew. You don't understand. You're not close. Family's not important to you. If you make me choose between my family and you, you will lose every time. Well, I'm sorry, but it's not as simple as them or me. Things get complicated when there's an us. It's time to grow up and face that, Joseph. Look. I think we're both maybe getting caught up in the heat of the moment. Let's just take a breath. Why don't we sit down? You should open your present. What, Clara? I just told you I think we should break up. She, she picks up the present and holds it out to him. Joseph, I know you better than I think than you think I do. What does that mean? Just open the present. Clara, I feel bad enough as it is. Okay, then shouldn't you just at least do what I'm asking you to do? Joseph takes the present and slowly begins to unwrap it. I know how much family means to you. And I know that one day there's going to be a little kid who thinks you're the best dad in the world. Clara, I would love that, but the real problem is I never pictured you as the mom. Clara freezes for a moment. She snatches the present out of his hands just before he gets it unwrapped. I thought you wanted me to... What did you just say? Look... I think a part of me knew we weren't right for each other. And, and once you were gone, it just confirmed it. So it's not that you don't want to move to Chicago. It's that you don't want to move to Chicago for me. Clara, you're right. <sighs> it's time for me to grow up. And when I think about my future, you're, you're just not mother of my child material. <laughs> Is that why you came? To tell me this? I thought I should do it in person. Sometimes it's easier to travel light.
I changed my ticket. I'm going back tonight. Well, thanks for stopping by. You better run along back to mommy and daddy before anything gets too hard. Come on, come on. Clara, do you think this was easy? This is me growing up. <laughs> Wouldn't it have been easier for me to just do this over the phone? But the ticket was booked, and I thought, you know what? Make the tough choice. <laughs> you owe her that. Merry Christmas to me. Joseph grabs his backpack and crosses to the door. I'm sorry, Clara. I hope. What? I hope you didn't spend too much on the Christmas present. stares after him for a moment and looks down at the present in her hands. Lights down. And a pledge. <laughs> Uh, 
defense mode, but I spell Kenner, inspired by the song Criminal by Fiona Apple. Oh. <laughs> and featuring the character Avo, played Four Quarters by Mariana Benjamin. And uh, we have reading uh, Jersey and uh, Caitlin Wilcox. Defense Mode, a very short holiday play by Phil Kenner, Cry Havoc Apprentice Program alumnus. Ava enters the dark apartment and flicks on the light switch. She, she hangs up her coat and fixes her hair in the mirror on the small table next to the door. Luke enters through the front door, hangs up his coat, and goes to the liquor cabinet to make himself a drink. That necklace looks terrible on you. <laughs> Where did that come from? It looks bad on you. Really bad. It makes your neck look fat. <laughs> what? What's happening? What's happening is that you're wearing a necklace that makes your neck look fat. <laughs> it's like a choker. It almost gives you a double chin. Did I, like, miss something? Was there a fight in the car that I missed? Nope. No fight. It's just that necklace makes you look like you have a fat neck. Okay, what's going on? Why am I being insulted all of a sudden? Did I say something? Did I do something? I don't like it when you play dumb. Okay, obviously something has upset you and you don't want to talk about it. That's fine, but I'm exhausted and I have a full bladder, so see you in bed. We can't go to bed angry. Then we'll wake up on Christmas morning all grumpy. You're the one who's angry. Yes, I am, and I want to talk about it. So then talk about it. When Owen, or whatever his name was, gave you that necklace, you became a different person, a flirty monster. <laughs> That's what this is about. It's not the necklace, it's that another man gave it to me. No, it's not that another man gave it to you, it's that an almost perfect stranger gave it to you and you treated it like an engagement ring. It was disgusting to watch. Oh, it's so beautiful. Of course, I'll put it on now. Oh, who has a mirror? Oh, it looks beautiful. I was being grateful for such a nice, Gift. Sure, it was a nice gift, but it breaks the number one rule of Secret Santa. And that rule would be? The don't spend over the budget. And he spent way over the budget. <laughs> I thought the number one rule of Secret Santa was don't tell anyone who you got for Secret Santa. Either way, <laughs> he should not have spent that much. Not only does that make him look bad, but that makes me look bad in front of your mom. He gives you some fancy necklace, and I got your mom a cookbook from the Barefoot Contessa. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe cooking for Jeffrey was a bad choice. You're supposed to say, no, Luke, cooking for Jeffrey was a great choice. I'm being honest. Honesty won't help you. Won't help me? Why would I need help? I shouldn't have to defend myself for accepting a gift. Don't invalidate my feelings. I'm entitled to my jealousy. Fine. <laughs> but you're not entitled to insult me. Who, who was he? Do you know him? It's just a family friend. It's like <coughs> my dad's old work friend, maybe? So there's no past. <laughs> what? Past? No, look, look, he gave me a generous present. What was I supposed to do? 
not say thank you? No, of course, you can say thank you. What you don't do is say thank you over and over again while <laughs> twirling your hair and giggling. Do not tell me what I can and cannot do. You have no authority over me. You know, you're right, I don't. But I can call out when I think that my wife doesn't appreciate me. Doesn't appreciate you. Okay, Luke, you wanna have this conversation? You wanna do this right here, right now? Great, let's go, fine by me. Fine by me too. Did it occur to you that maybe, just maybe, I responded positively to attention from him because I don't get a lot at home? Ooh. <laughs> when was the last time you did something nice or romantic for me? You don't make any effort to appreciate or listen to me. You want me to buy you more necklaces? See, see, right there, that right there. See what I mean? You're not listening. This isn't about necklaces. Oh, I'm listening, and I want you to take that necklace off. Oh. And what if I don't? That's my Christmas wish. <laughs> Too bad I'm not Santa Claus. You're not gonna apologize for flirting with another man right in front of me? No. I don't owe you an apology. You aren't hearing anything I'm saying. I beg to differ. This is insane. I should sleep in a hotel for the night. Is that what you want? I don't want to be in this house if the environment is going to be toxic and accusatory. You would miss Christmas morning just because we had a fight? No, I'd miss Christmas morning because my husband was being unbelievably rude and harsh. Fine. Sleep in a hotel. Just make sure you're here when my parents get here. Maybe I won't. All right, enough of the threats. Just take, you know, take the necklace off. Say you're sorry. We can go to sleep without any anger. <laughs> no! If you're not here when my parents get here tomorrow, I will feel incredibly embarrassed and hurt. or word, and I'm sorry you feel jealous and upset, but I'm not sorry for enjoying a compliment and a kind gesture. Did he break a secret Santa rule? Sure, fine, he did. I'll give you that. But isn't he also pretty much a stranger? You bet. He was one of my dad's old work pals, right? He got my name for Secret Santa and probably bought me the necklace as more of a sign of affection for my father than for me. You made me feel ugly. Looking at you, look at him, made me feel ugly. Ugly and fat and not sexy and unimpressive. I know what that feels like. And it sucks. But I should not be responsible for fielding the projections of your insecurities. Do you... Do you... Do you think I'm sexy? <laughs> yes, you idiot. <laughs> I think you are sexy too. I know you do, Luke. 
I'm sorry for saying you have a fat neck. I forgive you. I'm sorry for threatening to go to hotels. It's okay. I'm going to try and listen from now on. Honey, that's the sexiest thing you've ever said. <laughs> Maybe we should both go to a hotel. <laughs> Pretend it's some sort of illicit Christmas rendezvous. Are you into that? Here are the keys. You're driving. Uh, we have to be back early tomorrow to set up for my parents. Fine by me. Won't be getting much sleep anyhow. Ava tosses the keys to Luke. He kisses her, gets his coat, and goes to the car. As she gets ready, she looks in the mirror and takes off the necklace. Ava gets her coat and leaves the house. The necklace remains on the small table. End of play. Woo! All right. And uh, that play was inspired by uh, Criminal by Fiona Apple. Thank you. 
now, just a little backstory. Those of you who don't know, because we actually have a number of people who are with us today who are not regulars at our holiday event. But the uh, annual holiday pigeon screenplay is a tradition. Um, uh, Jenny Curlin uh, started writing a, uh, a, a, a animated pigeon screenplay a bunch of years ago. And actually, the, when she had just written one scene of it, uh, was when we did our first and, uh, holiday play collection. And uh, I have said before, and I'll say it again, I'm sorry to everyone else, including me, but that first pigeon holiday thing is probably my favorite thing that's ever come out of the workshop. Uh, it's a, a wonderful little play about a, uh, uh, a screenplay about a, a pigeon and the ornate fruit dove he is enamored of. And how, how when she is, is, uh, is homesick for Indonesia at Christmas, he shows her what a New York Christmas is. Uh, and uh, shortly after that, Jenny asked me to join with her to write the feature length uh, screenplay, which we did. But also, it has now become an annual tradition that we have uh, our very short holiday annual pigeon screenplay. And at this point, Plume and Dovey have gotten together. They've had children. They have this whole story that's happened over, uh, over years. Um, uh, but this year, um, this, this may end up being what they call on television a bottle episode, um, meaning I'm not totally sure that this uh, story will end up being in the timeline of the whole thing. And yet, it feels like the correct pigeon story for 2016. <laughs> That's what makes him Santa, a very short holiday screenplay by Jenny Curlin and Kit LeBoy. Exterior, New York City sidewalk, late afternoon. Plume, a plump pigeon, and Stan, a trimmer version of Plume, stand <laughs> on a grimy sidewalk, their heads tilted up, dumbfounded. On the ledge above them, a wall of anti-pigeon spikes looms, jagged and impassable. How did this happen? I don't know. Suddenly, a booted, the booted feet of a pedestrian stomp by. They barely missed them, spattering gray slush in all directions. Plume and Stan look at each other as a fleet of booted pedestrians tromp by, startlingly close to them. The pair launch up off the sidewalk, twisting past the shopping bags and heavy winter coats of passers-by, winging past the sign from Macy's department store into the sky over Herald Square, and banking past the holiday festoon streetlights as they soar uptown. Cut to interior Museum of Natural History, night. On the marble floor of a shadowy corner of the Birds of the World exhibit, beneath the lit Birds of Southeast Asia diorama, Plume and Stan stand huddled, talking in hushed tones to Dubby, a beautiful, multicolored, ornate fruit dove. No. I just didn't think they would actually do it. They can't. They did. Dubby casts her eye down the long marble hallway to the gently glowing birds of North America diorama at the other end. What are you going to tell them? I don't know. I'm glad Toby is too young to understand. I don't know how I would explain it. Debbie <laughs> <laughs> shakes her head in bewilderment. I should get home to him. Yeah. Good night, Stan. I'll see you tomorrow at the Ginger Snap Stand for Crumbs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, pal. I'll let you know. <laughs> All right, guys. 
Take care of yourself. <laughs> Stan gently takes flight and sails off through the exhibit. Plume and Dovey look at each other and take a deep breath. They let it out and begin to trudge down the hallway towards the Birds of North America diorama. Interior Birds of North America diorama, night. Amid an array of posed stuffed birds populating the recreation of a North American forest, Plume and Dubby stand at either side of a neat little nest high in a tree. Dubby plucks at a few stray feathers on her tail. Plume sits on the edge of the nest and gazes at a more unkempt nest a few branches below. In it, two tween pigeons, Denny, a miniature version of Plume, and Eve, a bright pink squab, sleep peacefully. Dubby settles into the nest. Bloom slides in next to her. They both lay staring at the ceiling. It's going to be all right. Um. I know. Bloom rolls over and looks off the sleeping squabs at the other nest. Dissolve to interior birds of North America diorama later that night. A security guard whistles a Christmas tune as he passes the diorama down the dark hallway, flashlight in hand. Bloom is still staring at the sleeping squabs. Dubby is still staring at the ceiling. Dissolve to interior Birds of North American diorama later that night. The security guard passes again from the other direction, still whistling. Plume and Dubby have shifted in the nest. Both are wide awake. Dissolve to interior of Birds of North American diorama later that night. The security guard passes again, yawning as he goes by. Plume and Dubby's tired eyes are still wide open. Dissolve to interior Birds of North American diorama early morning. The lights in the hallway outside the diorama flicker on, flooding the exhibit with a light like a violent sunrise. In their nest, Eve and Dubby lean away from the light in their sleep for a moment before their eyes slowly, slightly open. They look groggily around their world for a moment before they both suddenly snap to, their eyes springing open, big grins spreading across their faces. It's today, yay today. <laughs> Eve begins bouncing up and down in the nest. Mom and Dad, wake up! Plume and Dubby sit slowly up in their nest. They were not asleep. Get up! Get ready! It's Santa Day! <laughs> Denny leaps to his feet and thrusts his wings victoriously in the air. Santa Day! <laughs> Plume and Dubby look at each other, then climb out of the nest and glide gently down to the squab's nest. Hey, guys. Uh... There's something we need to talk about. Then he continues to bounce around the nest as Eve becomes suddenly very still. Oh, is everything okay? I heard you talking last night. Uncle Stan was here. Everything's okay. We just need to talk to you about something. Then he continues to bounce excitedly around. Denny, please. Sit down. <laughs> Denny stops, looking suddenly concerned. He and Eve settle into the center of the nest. Bloom and Dubby perch on either side. Guys, we can't go see Santa today. Tomorrow? <laughs> no, not this year. Not anymore. Why? Bloom takes a deep breath. They... Someone uh, put up pigeon spikes on the window ledge, where we usually go see him. Can we sit on a mailbox? There's no place else to perch, but we checked. Why would they do that? They just didn't want us there. Why? We weren't bothering anyone. 
I know, Eve. Sometimes humans want things that are just for them. <laughs> Why is Santa just for them? Santa is for everyone. That's what makes him Santa. I don't know, baby. I wish I did. But how will he know what we want if we don't yell it to him through the window? <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't have to know this until you were older, but <clears throat> Santa doesn't bring you presents. Your mom and I do. <laughs> <laughs> but they say Santa. <laughs> I know. You mean there is no Santa? Plume turns away from them and takes a deep breath that shudders out <clears throat> as he exhales. He steals himself and turns back to the squabs. No, baby, I'm afraid not. Plume reaches out and gently strokes Eve on the top of her head. Dubby locks on Plume. She shakes her head slow and firm. You have to tell them. Plume's wing slides off of Eve's head. He takes a breath. That's not true. Uh, what I just told you isn't true. Why did you say it? Plume steals himself. There is a Santa. He is real. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't bring presents to pigeons. He just brings presents to people. Then why did you tell us he gave them to us? Why did we leave out crumbs for him? Why did we yell at him through the window every year? I thought it would make your Christmas great. I don't believe you, Danny. I don't believe it. I believe in Santa, and I believe in Christmas, and I don't believe you. Danny turns and launches up out of the nest towards an opening beside a crooked tile in the ceiling. Dead! Danny smashes through the opening, knocking the tile loose and sending it crashing to the floor. Plume and Dubby and Eve watch as Denny appears on the other side of the diorama glass and powers down the hallway out of sight. Plume buries his head in his wings. Exterior, Museum of Natural History, morning. Denny crashes through the old abandoned mail slot at the back of the museum and soars in the sky, his eyes blurry with tears. Exterior, above New York City, morning. Denny flaps his way determinedly over the busy New York traffic, dodging and weaving through the thick strands of garlands and lights strung across the street. Exterior, Herald Square, morning. Denny arrives in Herald Square and banks right towards a sign that reads Macy's. Exterior New York City sidewalk morning. Denny stands in a grimy sidewalk looking up at the wall of anti-pigeon spikes moving over. Santa? No response. Santa! He flaps up and gets a glimpse through the window. Only the backs of children gathered in line to see someone eclipsed by their bulky winter coats and hats. Denny tries to hover to get a better view, but his wings weren't built for that. He sputters to the ground. He tries again, but quickly sinks back to the ground, past the anti-pigeon spikes and the unreachable ledge they protect. His brow furrows in distress, but he shakes it off, and the furrow becomes one of determination. Denny takes flight and loops out over the street, then back to the sidewalk and past the window. He catches a fleeting glimpse inside as he soars past, only the back of coats. 
He loops again a little higher this time, still just backs. He loops again, still higher. This time he catches a glimpse of puffy red over the heads of children. He shouts at the window. Hula hoop! Then he loops around again and past the window. Hula hoop! Denny picks up speed and loops once more. This time he's high enough so he can just make out the face of Santa Claus. Mid-shout, a burly Macy's clerk lurches directly into Denny's view and wraps his meaty knuckles on the window at the passing bird. Startled, Denny spins off and crashes to the ground, sliding into a deep puddle of slush. Close on, Denny dripping with an icy gray sludge. Tears well up in his eyes, car horns and construction sounds fill the air around him. His head sinks. The sound of flapping. Plume lands on the grungy sidewalk in front of Denny. Denny doesn't look up. Damn. Then he wipes away the tears with the back of his wings. It's time. Without looking at his father, Denny turns and launches out of the puddle, leaving a filthy trail of slushy mist as he goes. Boom tilts his head up to watch him go, then sinks back to watch this to the sidewalk as we rise up to exterior Macy's department store window morning. The clerk watches off in the direction Denny went. The clerk grins and brushes his hand together, satisfied with the job well done. As he walks away from the window, we push in through the glass towards the gathered children. As we do, delightful murmurs and the majestic strains of Hark the Herald Angels Sing fill the air. We push through the group of children, gliding back and forth to maneuver around their hats and scarves until we pass the child at the front of the group to finally see, in all his glory, Santa Claus. Bigger than life and giving a big ho, ho, ho to a little girl as she is lifted off his lap. We continue to push towards Santa in his red and white suit as a little boy in a dark blue coat is placed on his lap. We continue to push towards the pair as... And what do you want for Christmas this year? I want a police car and an erector set and to make my team win the championship this year. <laughs> we continue pushing past them towards a father hoisting his toddler son up towards the great green Christmas tree. The boy reaches out and grasps a shiny object in the tree, a golden dove of peace ornament. We continue pushing past them towards the ornament as... Yes, as a bird. Can you say bird? Uh, yes, that's right. Now come on, let's go see Santa. The toddler's hand slips off the ornament, leaving the bird to wobble as it dangles at the end of the branch. Hold on the glinting, wobbling ornament. Silence. Snap to black. <laughs> That was inspired by Bittersweet Symphony.
story of where this one came from. Um, Jenny and I had a whole idea about what we were going to do uh, for the pigeons this year. For those of you who were, have been there for the development of the full-length uh, screenplay, uh, there was a character who we loved who we had to cut, uh, Scruples, who was like the richest bird in town. Uh, he had three bird bats. That's how rich he was. Um, and we had this whole idea about how Scruples became the bird mayor of New York City and totally destroyed the bird infrastructure around Christmas time. And we thought it would be really funny. Um, and then on the morning of November 9th, uh, I walked into the city from Brooklyn over the, uh, uh, the Manhattan Bridge in the rain. It was all very emo. Um, <laughs> and I tried to get my mind off it by thinking about the pigeon thing you're going to write and found that distinctly unfunny. <laughs> and so I had a, a, a different idea, which was to take Christmas away from the birds, because seriously. So, um, <laughs> so I called Jenny after I got over the bridge and said, I, I have a, a different idea for what we might want to write this year. And it's really about um, when something you love a lot turns out not to be what you thought it was. Um, and, uh, you know, and so we thought we were going to write about the squabs and what happened to the squabs. And, um, when they found out that Christmas was just for people. And, um, and so where the song came from, honestly, we came up with the idea first, but, uh, for the story. But there is a line in uh, Bittersweet Symphony that the airwaves are clean and there's no one singing to me now. And uh, in one of our episodes a couple seasons ago, uh, a couple years ago, it was all about Denny, uh, who had seen a kid's uh, um, uh, uh, Christmas pageant and wanted to sing Christmas carols for people, but no one would listen to him because he was a bird and they didn't realize what he was doing. So, uh, so Plume arranged to get him backstage at uh, Radio City Music Hall, and he rode on the, on the stage on the back of a camel for the living nativity scene, and sang Hark the Herald Angels Sing with everyone, and that was his favorite Christmas. And so we decided to take Christmas from him. Um, <laughs> Uh, but that, that is also, that is why we decided of the squabs, why to focus it on, on, on uh, 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 Denny, and also why the last scene when we're watching the humans have Christmas is scored to heart the Herald Angels. Um, so, Jenny, do you have any other no, thoughts? <laughs> um, so, Merry Christmas! <laughs> Happy holidays, everyone. Um, uh, Hi, this is Jenny Curlin, and you just heard my Holiday Pigeon screenplay, That's What Makes Him Santa. Thank you so much for joining us for this special holiday episode. Again, if you would like to get a copy of this collection of very short holiday plays for yourself or someone you love, and also support the programming of the Cry Havoc Company, including this podcast, visit www.cryhavoccompany.org slash gift and gift a piece of Cry Havoc for the holidays.
Thanks again to everyone so much for joining us. A new season of the Cry Havoc podcast will begin in the new year. If you have not already done so, please subscribe for free on iTunes to join us again for our regular discussions about the craft of acting, writing, and directing, and about the realities of being a working artist in New York City. You can also go to iTunes to check out all of our previous episodes, including other special holiday episodes featuring very short holiday plays from previous years. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company, our upcoming events, and how you can help support the work and the community by visiting www.cryhavoccompany.org. So, for myself, Jenny Curlin, Jen Reichert, Jersey Gwizdowski, Will Rogers, Allie Keller, Julia Bilbao, Caitlin Wilcox, Phil Kenner, John Bruner, Josh Bywater, Annalisa Chamberlain, Will Clark, Chris Comfort, Jennifer Kerfman, Paul Edwards, Kristen Grenade, Addie Hayes, Leah Philly, Kaven Hallman, Nathaniel Blake Johnson, Madeline Lawson, Emily Claire Schmidt, Emily Rose Simons, Jerry Tobin, Rosanna Zarambo, and everyone at the Cry Havoc Company. Happy holidays, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.